Welcome to Travel with Brack Tours, a new podcast series about travelling around Ireland and Scotland. We'll be sharing stories and travel tips about visiting both Scotland and Ireland and hearing some great stories from the team at Brack Tours and many guests. Also find out more on how Brack Tours can make your vacation one you'll never forget. At Brack Tours, we didn't invent travel, we made it fun. Nice to have everybody back again to our latest podcast, and we have a very special one uh, this time, folks. We're heading over to the west of Ireland, over to County Galway, and just outside the city near a little village called Spittle, and we're going to speak to Cleaner and to Don Standards. And you're very welcome, guys, and our own Peter Clark is with us today as well. And we're going to talk a little bit about their amazing story and how basically... Their products, and particularly Darren Sweaters, really opened up Ireland to the world. Good morning, guys. How is everybody today? Good morning. Good morning. Nice morning here in the west of Ireland. That's great, Donald. Nice to see that. And in the two of you are looking fine and well there. So I hope you have a good hot cup of tea there with you this morning, like myself and Peter here, and get ready to go. So, guys, Standoons, it's an institution as regards Ireland and our Irish goods in particular, the sweaters that you sell in the shop. Donald, I'm going to get straight to the story. Where did all of this begin? Well, it began a year before I was born in 1946. My father and mother came to a place called Spittle, 10 miles west of Galway, and um, they fell in love with the place because my father's heart was in the language, the Irish language, um, which is spoken in a very minority, small part of the country in Donegal, Kerry, Galway. So um, he his heart was in the language, and he was born in Liverpool, but... He learned Irish. He, learned Irish. Um, he was uh, incarcerated in a concentration camp in Ireland in the Curra uh, for IRA activities. And he learned Irish and he, he was teaching. After six months, he was teaching the language. So he, he, he had a real grow for the language. And my mother then was immersed in music. She was a music teacher from the middle of Ireland, from Mullingar. And her heart was in the music. So... They, they were encouraged to come to this place and there was a, uh, a little shop for sale for £600, uh, which they didn't have, but they had half the money. And the man just said, Ashley, you'll pay, you'll pay me back when you have the, the rest of it, which, <laughs> which no legal, no legal uh, documents or anything. He said, Ashley, I know, I trust you. So in two years, they had it paid for. So it was £600 plus the weighing scales, which was £1.13 and 11 pence. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a lovely story. And uh, just going back to you with your mother and father, like, you know, it's interesting where they met, wasn't it? Yeah, indeed. My mother was in Mount Joy in the in the jail in Dublin, and my father was in in the Curra in Kildare. And uh, it just happened that uh, there were passing presents from my father to his sister, uh, who was a nun in in in, uh, in New Jersey, and subsequently, and his two sisters. And he was trying to get a message uh, message to them, and it's through that that he met uh, my mother, who was incarcerated with, with them. I suppose like your father really had that interest with, with Ireland, but um, it, back from in Liverpool, where was he part of the Gaelic League, wasn't he? I think, I he was, that's right. Yes. That's right, yes. And then when he came to Ireland. So it's a very interesting way where how love blossomed there, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and then they headed over to the beautiful west of Ireland. And like even back in those times, like, you know, £300 was a lot of money. 
Oh, it was a fierce amount of money. Yeah, it was big, big money that time. So it was, and then the store it, it started off really as a as a general store. Then wasn't it in the it local was, vicinity, yeah. the local community? It would have been the size of a small bedroom uh, uh, at that time, maybe twelve foot by twelve foot or something like that. Uh-huh. Uh, twelve foot by ten, um, and they it was set, selling grocery spades and shovels and socks and dishware, just um, daily requirements for. I mean, it was a small. I mean, a farm. The average farm here in the west of Ireland. There are two, two parts of Connemara. There's the North Connemara and South Connemara. It's a thing people forget about. Uh, North Connemara is beautiful with lakes and woodland and mountains, and southern Connemara, where we are, the spittle along the coast, is, 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 is a different type of beauty. We have the rocks and the, the stony fields, small little fields, and we're looking out to the Iron Islands. We're, we're granite-based, the Iron Islands limestone-based, but you can see the rock formation, and uh, it's, it's a different type of beauty. But the farm, like if somebody had five acres of a farm, it would be a big farm. Yeah, but, yeah, as it turned out, uh, they were able to eke out a living, but the emigration. Thanks, thanks be to America for taking so many of the people who who um, really appreciate the Americans for taking so many people from this part of the country. Otherwise, they would have starved, and they did starve. Yeah, no, it's great. And um, I suppose from your mother's point of view, she was immersed, I suppose, in, in Irish real life with her music. <laughs> Yes, uh, music music was very strong, and and uh, her her sister was actually one of the founder members of Coltis Coltarierin, which is the Irish music organisation. Yes, music, and that was formed in Mullingar. So it was a very strong musical family. So she she was into the classical uh, tradition as well because she used to play in the orchestra in Galway. So she she, she and she used to teach in the local secondary school in her spare time, and. She, Finished work at ten o'clock in the shop, and she found time to teach music in the in the, the local school. Well, I suppose it's great. Wow. I suppose during that time, it's all hands on, um, and I know Peter is probably similar stories to Peter from yourself growing up and with the language and the music in in even your own part of the woods up in County Cavan. But there's something special, Peter. I, I presume you would think yourself about you know the West of Ireland and how. I suppose you've held on to your traditions an awful lot more than other parts of the country. Yes, and um, it was it was brought through that it, through the business. Uh, as I said, they were working late at night, but they were able to combine that with with uh, groups of uh, people coming to Spittle, and Spittle is very is synonymous with traditional music uh, and the language. Uh, as I said, we we speak a different language. We speak the Irish language, so we're we're multilingual in this part of Connemara and speak Irish. So the music. The music was an important part of that, and the oral tradition was a big part of that. Mm-hmm. So it was through that that uh, a lot of musicians came to our house and played music like the, the Clancy Brothers, Tommy Makem, and the Dubliners, the Chieftains. They would have all played music in our house and stayed in our house. And they did have a big advantage. I remember as a kid, the big advantage of staying in our house, the, the fridge was always full before people uh, came to visit, and the fridge was always empty in the morning when you were looking for a joke of milk. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, and Cleena, bringing yourself in, I suppose, uh, you know, I, I liked reading up about it, fond memories, your fond memories of, of your grandmother. 
uh, as well. And uh, we're playing music in the shop and you have uh, one or two little stories there as well. Yeah. Um, so growing up, I remember both my grandparents uh, being in the shop a lot. And um, I suppose both of them were still around trying to help my dad during a time that was very busy. Uh, there were a lot of tours coming to the shop at the time and it was, you know, all hands on deck. Um, I I remember um, helping my granny in the cafe and uh, we were just, you know, uh, neither of us knew how to use the till. Um, and probably neither of us really knew how to use the coffee machine, but we were making teas and coffees and sandwiches and um then you know the next minute I'd be out Irish dancing and um maybe a few minutes later modeling in Iron sweater for somebody's grandchild um but um and I suppose uh such such special memories growing up there um very I suppose very exciting time and um immersed in kind of uh hard work um but, um, you know, I, I suppose it's great for the development of a child to be um, meeting so many different people, all walks of life. Um, we would have always had uh, strong local support. Um, I think uh, the tours, uh, a lot of the drivers probably brought people to our store because it was where the Irish liked to shop themselves. So, um you know, I was me. I would have known a lot of the local people because mm-hmm. I grew up in the shop. But equally, meeting people from all over the world, which was fascinating. Um, and um, yeah, it was like it was a great childhood, and and great to spend time with my grandparents as well. You know, I, I feel so lucky to have those memories. I suppose even uh, I I kind of go back myself. My own grandmother, she lived till she was ninety nine. You know, and and don't like like your mother, like you know, she was part of the Gaelic League as well, uh, coming them on. So um, it it was interesting listening to the stories from herself and for myself being out on the road and being a tour guide as well. And that you can relate back to a lot of those stories. So so the stories passed down from generation to generation. It's not every house gets the opportunity to grasp that and keep that, but mm-hmm. yours is really an interesting story is in your business grew from generation to generation, well, mm. which is very, very good. Uh, and I suppose, I don't know, like, you know, as time went on with the shop and everything, and then Ireland started to open up to the world. And it was in around, was it 19, in around 1959 or so, then we started to trade with overseas. And I think this really was the stepping stone uh, for maybe the shop moving forward because you had started to, to work with a lot of Weavers in the area is not correct. With uh, to collecting the wool, and you'd set up a small factory initially, then happened to make the iron sweaters. That's that's right. At one stage, we had uh, seven hundred knitters all over all over Ireland knitting for us, and um, it was very interesting. I used to go around to to meet those knitters. You see, um, if you if you take it that in in the fifties, there wasn't a lot of tourism, but a, a lot of Americans and English people came along here in the 50s and it, mm-hmm. it opened us really up because, uh, but then we had decisions to make. I mean, if you take it that uh, um, we, we were, um, we had provisions and we had farm implements 
Uh, I was a butcher and I was also an undertaker. And I think they went very, very well together. <laughs> so you'd take it, we, we had to, we had to, I had to really make a decision as well, what direction I wanted, to, wanted to go with. <laughs> a very diverse business. <laughs> All things to everyone. So we, we, we decided with the, one American one day, he put it very, very well. He said, I was here at, some, a few years later. He said, I was here a few years ago. He said, and this was like a trade post. I mean, you think of it, it was a good description of what it was. But as you said, it opened up to tourism. So we decided to, to go that way. And we, we had the knitting pack. My, my, my parents, um, through the Irish Export Board, they decided they were going to have a very high standard of sweater. So my father and mother were adamant that our sweater was going to be better than any other sweater. So they were selected to uh, go to America with Jack Lynch, who was uh, the, the Irish Premier at the time. And um, they went up and they got very big orders from Lord and Taylor and North and different companies in Canada and, uh, and the United States. And that put a lot of pressure on them because they had to get the production up and when you think about it, uh, the buyers in those stores weren't interested in, in anything but standard. And they wanted that if it measured 38 inches across, everyone had to measure 38 inches across. <laughs> and if the sleeve was going to be 34 inches or 32, every one of those. But you must remember, these were all hand-knit by ladies in their mm-hmm. cottages. And they had maybe hens going up on the table and uh, they were trying to keep the sweaters clean. And if, if, uh, if a woman had... It's a uh, children that were say six foot tall and long arms. She she made sweaters that were were had long but, arms. Yeah. But the person in America wasn't interested in that woman knitting sweaters with long arms. But they wanted us to standardize. So it was a real it was a real problem for us. But that's that's the direction that um, my par- my parents took, and uh, it was then that uh, we exported a lot of our sweaters and. Um, uh, we also the the tourism the local tourism grew as well as the export. It's it's an interesting story. I'm going to touch back on when you were talking about the music there, uh, and in particular the Clancy Brothers and and Tommy Makem. And I'd like to bring Peter in, Peter, because you knew the guys, and and we do actually have their their offspring, uh, uh, Donal and and and. Uh, and uh, yeah, well, I had Tommy make him in the store one day with a group, and uh, he, he said to me, you know, um, he says, you know what? Uh, he says this is where we used to get our sweaters from when we started wearing them first. Now I think what happened was maybe uh, one of the Clancy brothers um, came back from Ireland after a break one time, and he was wearing one of these sweaters, and I think the manager said, "That's the image I want," and. Uh, Somehow, now you can maybe tell the story of how you got involved in that because it appears you guys supplied the Clancy Brothers and Tommy Macon for quite some time, I believe. Yeah, yeah, that 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 would be prior to, to but that was a long. Um, I would have been a young a young teenager at the time, maybe. Twelve years of age, um, but I do remember them coming to the store, and uh, my parents being very particular about, and they were particular about the type of sweater they wanted. And, and yeah. Tommy, Tommy has it in in his book. You know that you've, you've read Tommy's book, Tommy Makem's book. Oh, you're and right. He, he hasn't mentioned that that he he used to. He he's a little um, a paragraph on, on on our shop, and he just mentioned that uh, they used to buy the sweaters in our shop. So. Um, they had yeah. exacting standards. They wanted to make sure that the, the sweaters were, were 
very good because we used to sell any sweater that wasn't up to scratch. My parents were adamant that we're going to put them into a bin. And I noticed even um, my daughters now, if they see that any sweater isn't up to their standard, they have bins down there for the clear, clear sweaters off. So uh, the tradition right. is passing down. Yeah. I know that it, it's good. Perfection is going on from generation to generation. <laughs> All right, Kleena. It's, it's, it's interesting with the Clancy's there. And I suppose when you think of it, when they, I suppose the Ed Sullivan show was really what brought the, those two, the, the guys to, to fame. And there they were standing on the show with their iron sweaters. So there you go, guys. <laughs> That's one for you as well. Iconic. <laughs> Isn't it? Iconic. Came is right. away from Spiddle. Yeah. Um, so later years, I don't and around was it nineteen early nineteen seventies. Then I suppose uh, uh, ownership, uh, you kind of took over the store with your with your good wife, who of course was a, a tour guide from County Cork. I believe. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. yeah, she was very fortunate. She fell on her feet that she moved out of Cork and moved to the west of Ireland. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, she, she was she was uh, she was. Um, uh, wasn't letting you go because you're a superstar. I mean, you were pretty handy, uh, pretty handy banjo player. You were a single-digit uh, handicap golfer, um, and well, you sang an odd song too, and uh, a pretty decent businessman, you know. So, <laughs> well, we, we, we always tried to juggle. We always had to keep all those balls in the air at the one time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That passed down from my parents who were working to 10 in the morning, 10, 10 at night time. And still, uh, I remember people coming into them and saying, oh, God, my mother was called May. Uh, May, would you put down a cup of tea? And uh, uh, it was a very open open house. And we, we grew up we grew up with, with music in our family. We grew up with neighbours coming in. Uh, I remember the, there was a fire. It was the oral tradition, and people would be telling stories to my sister and myself at night time, and uh, we'd be leaving and some of the fairy stories. No, that's we, we, we did a fantastic upbringing that way, yeah. Yeah, well, of course, we did mention uh, your wife, uh, Raymond. Uh, we'd be remiss of me not to mention the fact that she's uh, she's a published author. I mean, she's uh, two books uh, been published, and uh, my favorite one is The Voices of Connemara. I mean, I often take that down here on Winter Nights, and because it's absolutely incredible. Uh, pictures for, for, for you know her ability uh, as a photographer was was uh, shines out in this book you know but uh, yeah as well as being a tour guide of course yeah and she managed to capture a lot of stories that would other otherwise be lost I find that um you know um locally I I, I find that there there are a lot of stories that were kind of handed down from generation to generation, yeah. but very little written down. Um, yeah. And so she went around to a lot of the older people's homes and recorded conversations with them and then transcribed them. And so now we have uh, this beautiful book with a, a picture of the person and their you know, their memories, I suppose, of growing up in Connemara. So, yeah, I think that's a really, really special thing to have uh, for everybody in this area. Yeah, and it was very clever to do it that way. I'm not sure I've ever seen anybody else do it like that because now you could see the person, a picture of the person that the story came from. 
which is, I, I think, just very, very clever. Yeah. No, it is. It, it's remarkable. Funny you say that, Peter. Um, I know because I live right along the border here, and when, when and particularly this year now, partition really is the hundred years of partition here on the island. But uh, I remember what my own grandmother too, and my grandfather, and as I say, she came from County Monaghan, which is just across the border here. And uh, when the, when partition came, actually part of County Monaghan actually came into Northern Ireland, County yeah. So it is. But uh, one thing I did do with an uncle of mine is we actually went around and we videoed some of the older people because in the town I live in Cross Midland, there's a lot of those stories would be lost, as you say, Cleaner, and we videoed some of them. So I have it all on videotape and I still have to get around to, to putting it all. It'd be great to have it on a disc. Uh, but as you say, you can always touch back to those stories that, and you rightly say well, what your mother done has really captured and enhanced really the stories from, from old Connemara and from yeah. the people that did them. So with the, with the business and getting back to the business, uh, I know it's very, very important now, Donald, you're still trying to get out of it, should I say, <laughs> but, but Kleena and Kleena, your sister, Laura, she has an input into it now. You're the third generation now mm-hmm. working and uh, within the store and managing. Um, so how are you finding that? Well, I, I, I'll tell you what I'm finding. I, I retired about three years ago. I go in occasionally just to have a, a cup of tea and look around and meet a few 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 people that I've met over the years. And but but I've, I've become an expert at changing changing nappies and looking after screening <laughs> babies and things. Like Gina presented me with two children, two grandchildren, two beautiful grandchildren, and uh, so Clean and Lara have been running the store very successfully for the last three years. And I'm delighted to see that they're they have their own handwriting on it, but they have kept the quality and the tradition that was handed down from my grand from my parents. So I don't know whether Clean would want to add to that or take from that. And maybe increase my 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 allowance for babysitting. <laughs> <laughs> was it was it hard was it hard cleaning to keep him out of the store? Was it? Um, I know it wasn't too bad, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I suppose that it was it was 2010 when uh, my sister and I took over, and it was apparent that we needed to change direction somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we were all in agreement that, um, you know, we needed a little bit of a, a revamp and um, we sourced new brands and um, just, I suppose, um, we've always been somewhere that has uh, appealed to both local people and tourists. And uh, we just really needed to kind of make sure that, the the business was serving both markets and mm-hmm. um, had the right combination of gifts and clothing um, and yeah so and then just in the last um, three years we opened another small shop in Uchtarard Village so um, it's like a small sample of everything that we have in the Spittle store um, but um, that's been quite successful um, I suppose that's our North Connemara store. And then the main store is the South Connemara store. But but it's great. Wow. It's great to, to have that because, you know, third generation running a business now, expansion, 
more or less straight away. Um, you know, the world's changing and everything's changing, but you're still not losing touch with uh, what made the business, and that's your local uh, community and the local people there. Uh, yeah, but but, that's, that's, that's the nice thing about the store yeah. that, you know, if you go, a lot of people make that point, they come in, they feel very comfortable. There's no pressure because all the, throughout the years, the, the, the tradition was you don't force, you don't pull somebody's back of a jacket down and say, this is a perfect fit in the front and you, you squeeze it in and you, you tell somebody that this is perfect. <laughs> it's no, a perfect fit. <laughs> no, yeah, it's, it's, it's a comfortable place to, to, to shop and you hear a lot of the Irish language of girls, the sales assistants talking Irish and English to, to each other and to the customer. And tourists and, and locals, everybody feels very comfortable. So, I mean, it's the one thing that a lot of people remark on that. And it's not a tourist trap. It's not as if you're, you're going into a place where they jack up the price for six months of the year for the tourists and rip them off. It's it's a totally different um Shopping experience, which I'm delighted it's been handed down. Well, uh, well, and uh, and and you've correctly said it there, you know. And I suppose the ethos of a very strong business is, is as how they, how it operates, but also uh, they look after their customers, and you know, word of mouth is really, I suppose, the uh, the strongest thing in business, uh, and particularly when you're in selling the likes of local produce and 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 local items and that it, it's. Very very, very, it's, it's very, very important because as you say, you still have that ethos of your locals coming in and shopping with you and coming into the shop and knowing that, you know, you're going to get something which is very good value for money. And likewise, where you've built up your business through tourism over the years too, it's the same principle. You're not going into a shop, but you rightly said, Donald, there that prices is hiked up and what they're getting is good quality products. And that's very, very important. And uh, there's a lot of a lot of rubbish out there on the market, should I put it that way as well. But definitely that's something uh, that's not associated with your business. And, and it's, you have to be very proud uh, of what your mother and father built up, yourself and now Clean is carrying on as well, which is is a credit to to you all then there. And also it's a trademark, being honest with you, for Connemara and the region. Uh, it's, it's been fantastic. And I know Peter has called in many, many times with you there and loves taking the guests there. And Peter would have a lot of re- repeat customers coming back. And he might say, oh, we're going to get the stand-ons. Oh, yeah, and they love that. They love that because they know it's somewhere they can go. So you say it's comfortable and they can have a good chat even with the, with the people in the store. You know, you'll always, there'll always be a conversation, there'll always be a bit of fun, and and everybody comes out, like every group, there'll be a few people come out with a story out of it, you know, but, uh, and even we've had a, a few impromptu music sessions there mm-hmm. at different say, times, yeah. yeah. That's um, something that's happened quite yeah. often. It's just amazing how the banjo just happened to be upstairs in the office. I mean, like, that was amazing. And nobody knows how it got there. So where is music in the family now? Oh, God. Don't mention uh, more. Tina <laughs> uh, plays the, the, the flute and the whistle. And Lara did, oh. actually, she did music in her degree. In university, so but she she doesn't play that much, and I mean, I think the pressure should be brought to bear on on them, uh, the way you put the pressure on me to play. I mean, I think they're getting away with it. 
<laughs> well, the next time we're in, we definitely have to make sure there's, there's time for a session. <laughs> yeah, because no, Colum, Colum's a pretty handy player himself here. So, uh, and has uh, and has a, a very talented family, which you're yeah. going to hear a lot about soon. But that's uh, funny. They're all immersed uh, in their music as well. So, yeah, content, we, we grew yeah. up with it as well in our heads. And that all came down from grandmothers and grandfathers, etc. Yeah. as well. Very it's very good. Yeah, you also have around the store there too. You've got some uh, beautiful opportunities for photographers who stop there too. I mean, that house across the street with the turf and the one up the street with the thatched roof. I mean, that's that's a maybe there's a story behind that one, is there? Well, that that's the that thatched house just beside um, the second house away from the, from the, the yeah. shop. That, that the the lady was working was working in Dublin, who came from that house. She was born in that thatched cottage, and she right. was teaching in Mullingar. Um, teaching Mullingar, I meant to say, she was teaching Mullingar, and she met my mother through my mother teaching music in Mullingar. Oh yeah, it was, it was her who invited my mother to come down for a weekend to Spiddle. And she said, you could stay with me. I mean, you can imagine staying at the thatched cottage and there were a few more, <laughs> the, the, uh, a few more, but there were two brothers there as well. So my mother went down there and uh, she said, by the way, there's there's a shop for sale two doors away. Um, maybe yourself and Martin, my father, um, sh- should look at it. So the following, um, maybe a couple of weeks later, my father, my father cycled down from Dublin, down to Spittle. Wow, and my mother has cycled from Monagar down, um, uh, just to have a look at the place for the weekend. Uh, so on two bicycles, and uh, that's how they they end up. So that Tash Cottage, had, and um, that was a very famous house for music as well. And um, right, yeah, and, and well, it should be noted that cycling from Dublin that's a hundred and fifty miles or or thereabouts. Yeah, yeah. Whoa. That was very few. That's a great story. I love that. Yeah, wow. There was no talk of emissions or anything at the time, you know. (laughs) Yeah, and and that house today, it's a model uh, house as a thatched house. I mean, I know. Friend of mine owns it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And did it feature on uh, a tourism? brochure in the states at one point i think the bbc made a program there actually my mother my, my mother was playing music for that and um, they did a documentary on on life in the in the west of ireland and um, right. that's that's the house they, they selected and there's a bbc documentary on that and it's it's um, it's it's available still it's available in color now is it yeah wow wow so, so Peter, I remember you talking to me there about, and I know it's in it myself, but uh, you talked about a little stone outside the door that uh, Donald has there. Um, so you mentioned that to me in a conversation. So Donald, yeah, maybe you could tell the people about that, could you? Yeah, um, the, the stone, when, when my parents died in 1994 and 1995, my father died in October '94. My mother was broken-hearted, and uh, uh, she died in uh, January 1995, uh, just maybe 11 weeks after my, my, my father. And uh, um, so, when they passed away, I decided to put up that stone. And what's written on the stone is, I picked an old Irish saying: "A night will the free is on the hills the chosahu." And what that means is, where your heart is. That's where your feet will lead you to, which is kind of really what happened to them. Their heart was in 
the, the music, the culture, and the language of the, this iconic place in which is called Southern Connemara. And that's where they were really led to eventually by their hearts. Beautiful, beautiful. And beautiful I think, story. You know, I think it's nearly a nice way to end our podcast with you. Um, Kleena, I know people will be really, really interested in listening to this and that. And um, maybe you could tell them details of where they can find you online and they can purchase. They mightn't be able to get to Ireland just at the moment, but they can still buy from Standons. <laughs> Yeah, on our website as well, we have a more de- detailed version of our story and our history uh, on www.standun.com. Um, and of course, we have an offer all the time for BRAC tours when you use the promo code BRAC at checkout um, to get 10% off. But um, we hope that... Um, we hope travel opens up soon and that um, that people come and can come and visit us. And uh, I hope that they will mention the podcast and ask for me or my sister. And we'd be li- delighted to give them a warm Irish welcome in store. Well, that'd be fantastic. And I know, you know, we can't wait to, to get our, our, our guests and, and our customers back over here to Ireland as well. And of course, we'll, we'll never pass the door when we're then in Connemara. So, you know, guys, really appreciate you taking your time out. I know clearly shops back open. You're busy. I really appreciate you taking the time out today. Don't you have to get back to the babysitting now? <laughs> you got away from it. Peter, thanks for joining us. Guys, really you're appreciate Um. Uh, you're taking that time out and best of luck and hopefully we'll see you uh, sometime before the year is out thank you very much thank you both so that's it for the day thanks for listening thanks to all those who contributed for the stories and if you'd like to find out more about travelling to Ireland or Scotland visit our website at www.bracktours.com until next time take care